This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash B-E. Hi, everyone, and thanks again for being here on the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. Uh, it's been a series of uh, really fun episodes here to start the new year, um, and today's will be no different. My guest today is Hesha Abrams. Hesha is an internationally acclaimed master attorney, mediator, negotiator, and deal maker who for more than 30 years has been renowned for her success in resolving high-profile or difficult matters. In fact, one of her cases was mediating the case over the secret recipe for Pepsi. Hesha has worked with Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, IBM, Verizon, and a lot of other companies you've probably heard of, as well as individuals, inventors, and small businesses to create deals and solve disputes. And she has distilled all of that experience into this book, Holding the Calm, The Secret to Resolving Conflict and Diffusing Tension, and in our conversation, we dig into a lot of really powerful ideas for conflict resolution in really high stakes matters, as well as just your day-to-day conflicts. We talk about it with respect to, you know, the various different parties that you may have to negotiate with, in a sense, in a on a daily basis, right, as an educator you may have at work your supervisor or your reports, your students, you know, peers, colleagues, and then at home, a spouse, your children, other family members, friends, right? Strangers. And when you're out in public, there's all these different people that you're interacting with on a day to day. There's all different kinds of tensions and conflicts or agreements that you need to reach when you need to find the other person's perspective, what's their self-interest, you need to clarify and advocate for the outcome that you want in a situation. And there's a lot of techniques that really can make that more effective. This is something that, of course, is a challenge for so many of us. And sometimes, you know, it's really important to get it right. So I think in this conversation with Hesha, you're certainly hearing from an expert on these matters and somebody who has lots of, of great stuff in her book. So I think you'll find it really valuable, and I, I sure hope you do. So please do enjoy my my conversation here with Hesha Abrams, and it is coming up now. In my work, I've collaborated directly with hundreds of educators to support their success. Do you know which of their edtech frustrations comes up time and again? The sheer number of tools out there and the difficulty of knowing which ones schools like theirs are using to get results. IXL is different. Not only does it perform the functions of dozens of tools, 
It's currently delivering results for one in four U.S. students, including those in 95 of the top 100 districts. Another major pain point that comes up when a school is excited to implement a new tool only to find out the teachers hate it. Yikes. It helps to know that IXL is loved and trusted by more than one million teachers, saving them time on prep work while enabling them to better support student learning. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments. And independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? If you have a goal to increase achievement for all students, make sure to find out what IXL can do for you. Visit IXL.com forward slash BE for a demo. That's IXL.com forward slash BE. Hesha, welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, it's so great to have you here. And there's so many things to talk about, so I don't want to waste any time in getting right into it. But we'd love to, to hear just at the starting point a little bit about your career, some of the work you've done that led to you developing a lot of the ideas that you share in this book. I think that'll be useful context for listeners to hear, you know, the various fires in which these ideas were forged. Oh, I love that. The various fires in which these ideas <laughs> were forged. Isn't that excellent? You know, the hot, my husband says the hottest fire makes the finest steel. Uh, and, you know, I had a very challenging upbringing. And so I had to learn how to handle a lot of conflict. And I've been doing this, you know, 40 years. So in, in my day as a lawyer, as a woman lawyer, I got little ladied and dismissed and pushed aside. And either you crumble or you get stronger. That's the only choice you really have. And so I was a business litigator and I was tough and I was hard and thank God I've softened and, you know, <laughs> classized basically as I've gotten older and learned how you can get things done with much more grace and tact than with just aggression. But we don't teach people these things. We don't have classes in how to negotiate well, when to fold them, when to hold them. You know, how do you maintain relationships? How do you be tough and hard? How do you know when to give? Those are such important skills. And I just had to learn them on the fly. And I was a lawyer. And in one week, I won a case that I should have lost because I just outlawed the other side. And then I lost a case that I should have won because I was good old boy down at the uh, courthouse. And it caused just a crisis in me that said, this cannot be how it is. This just cannot be. And I found mediation. I thought, wait a minute, you can talk to people for a living. You can figure out solutions, even to the toughest, most intractable problems. Mm. I don't want to be Pollyanna and go, oh, win problem solving. Let's all listen to each other. That works like 20% of the time. What about the other 80% when you're dealing right. with somebody hateful, obnoxious, narcissistic, power hungry, aggressive, stupid, mean, all of that. That's where conflict is, real live conflict. And that's what I've spent my life and my career doing. And I've developed some really good tricks and mm -hmm. really good ways to streamline it and cut through it that can work quick, boom, boom, because that's what people want. No one wants to take the time to go get some PhD program in conflict management, for goodness sakes. What can I do today with my idiot neighbor, with my terrible coworker, with my horrible boss, with, I know we're doing this in education podcast, and I have friends who are teachers who say the kids are fine. It's the parents that are pain. Right. How do you deal with them? These are tricks of the trade that if they can work with big, huge multinational corporations, they honestly can work with, you know, the, a tough teen, you know, or a difficult parent or a coworker. And I want to share these with people. That's why I wrote this book. What, you know, I think of a certain thing that to develop before starting to have success is the mentality piece, right? There's those situations. It may be, I mean, for some people, it may feel like just overwhelmingly every day or just a particular situation where solution seems impossible. There's no way to work through this either 
this person or these people I'm dealing with just can't be negotiated with, or I just have no idea how to advocate for what I want. I, th- th- there's no, and ultimately the lesson is that there's a solution in there somewhere, but I think it starts with having the mentality and developing that and having a true and honest belief that it's possible to find a solution if we approach it right. But what about that piece for maybe people who over time have developed that pattern of thinking that I'm not good at this, I can't do this, or certain situations are just unfixable? Well, I love the question because that's real and it's true for all of us. I'm an expert in this and I have an amygdala. My amygdala can get pushed and I can feel frightened and go into fight, flight, or freeze response. It's the normal human reaction to do this. So it's really a great question. And what I always tell people is that the only mindset you really need is that you haven't found a solution yet. And the problem is that most people think the solution is going to be nice. It's touchy-feely. It's happy. We all run through the meadow holding hands. No, sometimes the solution is a very cold piece. You stay in your corner. I'll stay in my corner. Okay, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. So being able to see what can be done and just trying to improve it a little bit. I have a whole chapter in the book that I call creating small, winnable victories. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do. You don't create big, big solutions with big, broad strokes. It's brick upon brick, small little things to help it get better. And then what it does is it aligns self-interest because the person you're dealing with, you know, unless they are criminally insane, mm-hmm. they have a self-interest. They have something they want and why they want it. Well, when you can identify that and satiate that even a little bit, miraculous things can happen. Yeah. And even though this comes from a totally different chapter to me, the ideas relate closely around when you talk about the small winnable victories and which, of course, progress toward maybe the, the larger victory you're aiming for, the larger outcomes and solutions. And the, the quote or the idea that was shared in a separate chapter from J. Paul Getty about essentially when you make a deal with somebody, make sure that you both make money, right? Make sure that both sides have positive outcomes from the deal because if if you always get everything you want and the people you negotiate with don't get anything, people are going to stop dealing with you. And that's part of it, right? Is if you can demonstrate to your counterpart, your opponent, or just your collaborator, your co- whoever you're dealing with that, hey, look, at each step of this, we're both having good outcomes. There's smaller parts of this and I'm winning, I'm getting something I want, but I'm also being mindful of what you want and we're kind of, then we can work together and work toward those bigger outcomes. And that's what, as you mentioned, the self-interest, you know, it's so important to have that empathy component and think about what does the other person want? What are they looking for? Because one, if I can't even communicate that to them, they might be unwilling to even have a conversation because they're like, well, why should I waste my time on this? But two, even if I win the battle, I might lose the war, so to speak. I get what I want the first time, but then it's so one-sided and the person's like, oh, I'm never doing that again. And most things in life are not one-offs. Most relationships professionally personally right most negotiations it's not the only time we're going to come into conflict with that particular person or or that we're going to have to reach a solution with that person so there's a long game to keep in mind Mm -hmm. and no you're very wise that's exactly the right way to think about it and to remind people let me give our listeners a quick trick because when your amygdala is triggered that's the fear negativity center in the brain it's two tiny little kidney-shaped organs right above the brain stem And when that's triggered, all cognitive thought goes out the window. You can't be empathetic. You can't think of solutions. You can't do anything because you're in this fight, flight, or freeze mode that you can't control. But this is the good news. Scientists have put people in MRIs and they figured out that fight, flight, freeze response. It's called a refractory state and it lasts 20 minutes. That's it. You don't have to wait all day. You don't have to wait a week, 20 minutes. Then it tones down and you can start thinking a little bit. So I have a little trick I give people. Let's say you're engaged with somebody that you just, I I see no solution here. You are impossible to deal with. You are 
fill in the blank adjective, evil, bad, selfish, wrong, narcissistic, because we label each other all the time, but I still got to deal with you somehow. So if I look at you, I'm going to ask myself one question, Ross, with this guy and to myself, would this guy pull my kid out of a burning car? Now, 95% of the time, the answer is going to be yes. So now I have to look at you with slightly different eyes. There's something redemptive about you. You're not as evil as I want to think you are, or as stubborn, or as stupid, or as resistant as I think you are. That gives me just a crack, a tiny little shimmer of light to look at you. What do you want out of this thing? And is there any way I can somehow satiate that? For a lot of people, it's just validation. It's acknowledgement. It's not feeling wrong. Uh, a lot of people just cannot stand to be wrong. Their poor little egos are just so delicate that they'll shatter. And it's not emotionally mature, but you're not somebody shrink. It's not your job to fix them. It's your job to be able to deal with them for you. So ultimately... This stuff is really quite selfish. It's designed to make my life better so that as I glide through life, I'm not doing bumper cart egos all the time. I'm gliding through life. I want to make my path easier and glide a little better. So in reality, having empathy and caring about other people and self into all blah, blah, blah is really ultimately about making my life easier. And that's why learning these tricks and why I wrote this book, that's why I did this as a little inexpensive $15 paperback, because I wanted everyone to have access to this stuff, because it should be taught in school. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me a lot of an idea. Forgive me, listeners, if I'm wrong about this. We've done a lot of episodes, now, but I'm pretty sure it came from our episode on preventing polarization, where the authors encouraged each party, and maybe you know we have different ideological beliefs or whatever it is to pick out what's one thing you agree with the other person's position what's one thing that you can say yeah i'm pretty much on board with that right and start from there to say okay we're not totally polarized we, we there are certain commonalities no matter how small and i've seen this idea used in some other situations too around even if it's brainstorming for a project within a company and you're really you're only going to end up doing one of the projects and there's a lot of ideas and but starting out with what's one thing I like about this idea okay well can we and at least seeing that we don't always have to be in tension with each yes. other. even even yeah. in things that maybe turn out the outcome is more or less a zero-sum game right that doesn't have to mean that you either totally won or totally lost, or you're, you know, you're completely right or completely wrong. That sometimes we have to work toward, there's only a single resolution, but we can see that we each have some interest in that resolution, or that at least each person can be operating in good faith. They have good intentions, they have some different ideas, but we're not, we have some commonality here. You know, I would give a corollary to that because you said it in a very positive light way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I work in the trenches of human conflict. Mm -hmm. So when people are angry, hurt, scared, worried, power grabbing or power losing, they don't operate from their best, highest self. They operate from their worst, scared self. So when you said, is there one idea that I could maybe agree with? That's great. Do the corollary. Is there something about this that at least I don't hate? Right. Sometimes you're more receptive to that because honestly, I hate you. I hate everything you stand for. You have hurt me. You have betrayed me. You're not trustworthy. You're selfish. You're blah, 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 blah. Maybe there's something about what you just said that I don't hate. That's sometimes easier for people to grab onto. And all it does is just slow the train down a little bit. I mean, that's it. And again, I want to remind people, don't think of this in a kumbaya kind of way. If you can get it to where everyone is hugging afterwards and, you know, and holding hands and relationships are restored, rock on. That is fantastic. But that's winning the Super Bowl. Okay. Mm -hmm. The majority of the time, it's going to be various levels of cold peace. Okay. We can live with that. 
that's all right. But you set your standard for it's just the cessation of conflict. It's just not having war. Anything above that is now icing. And you try for it, that'd be great, but you're realistic about what is and is not achievable. Yeah. That makes it more attainable for people because I did a case years and years ago for a manufacturer, a big manufacturer, Sears. And the guy said to me, best is the enemy of better. I fought with that. I argued. I said, that's just wrong. I was very young at the time. You want best. Uh, well, I'm a lot older now. I see he was right. Best is absolutely the enemy of better. And you want to get better. And then eventually it moves up and it moves up. But it's within the realm of what can be achieved. That's where happiness happens. That's yeah. where stress gets reduced. You know, because if you want it always to be perfect or idealized, look, I want chocolate cake to not be fattening. I'm not right. getting my wish. <laughs> and you know, and why is broccoli not, not fattening? You mm -hmm. know, it's just because we've all uh, enjoyed over the holidays. So we all have our weight loss and our healthy affirmations yeah. for uh, this coming month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and to that point, right. I mean, it's resources come into play, right? When we're talking about best versus better, you know, what progress can we realistically make sometimes in a, you know, certainly in a legal dispute, it's financial resources, one party can just afford to keep battling it out a lot longer. And other times, it's just, there's just time constraints, right? We're dealing with a situation in a school with a particular student, for example, and we only have so much time to try to get an outcome and, okay, what will at least move us forward so that we can make a little bit of progress now and then maybe make a little bit more next time and a little bit more that we, we can only get so far right now. And if I'm only focused on what is the ideal best case scenario, final outcome, and it's that or nothing, Yes. A lot of times I end up with nothing because you, you are exactly yeah. correct. Let me, because we've been talking a lot of, of concept here. Let me give something concrete to our listeners because people are listening and saying, this is great. All these ideas are great, but what do I do today? Mm -hmm. And that's what the book is all about is it's 20 chapters with 20 tools of what you can do today. So let me give you one quick one. Let's say you go to school tomorrow and somebody's angry at you. Okay. The first thing you're going to do is you're not going to respond to what they're angry about. You're going to name the emotion. You're just going to say, you seem really angry. I'm not angry. I'm frustrated. Okay. You seem really frustrated. See how it was still a win. Mm -hmm. It's at best as the enemy of better thing. It doesn't matter. So the first thing you're going to do is listen and hear that other person and name the emotion. Why is that so important? because I give speeches all the time and do trainings inside large groups. And I'll always say, how many people feel completely heard and listened to in their personal lives? Raise your hands. And like hardly anybody does. So people don't feel that way. They don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. Even if you're wrong, let's say I'm completely wrong and I'm angry and I'm losing my marbles. What difference does it make? I'm losing my marbles. And if somebody is says, I see you and this is what's happening for you. It is unbelievably validating without agreeing. And what we normally do is we'll say, calm down. And I'll tell our listeners, never ever in the history of calming down has anyone ever calmed down by being told to calm down. Mm -hmm. It is the absolute worst thing you can do. Why? Because basically says, whoa, dude, you're not in control of yourself. I'm in control of myself. I'm going to tell you what to do. Well, that just makes your amygdala go freaking crazy. So you never do that. The trick, number one trick is you name the emotion. Mm -hmm. And I said to our listeners, just try that. Try it when someone's sad. Try it when they're happy. Try it when they're angry. Try it when they're frustrated. Because you'll get better at identifying the emotions because people will give you immediate feedback. No, you're wrong. I'm not sad. Okay, well, what are you feeling? Oh, I'm just a little depressed. Okay. Now I have information. Now I know. Now I'm perceived as empathetic. And your amygdala now looks at me as friend versus foe. Yeah. That's the beginning. Just that. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example you chose. And because 
you know, that should ring quite true, sound familiar to listeners, especially this podcast, who I mean, think about the scenarios that so many of you have encountered with parent groups, with, with the school boards, and the, you know, and the anger of those who feel unheard, unlistened to, unseen, and how that can also be weaponized against you if you don't proactively go out and hear them and connect, right? How another party can say, you seem like you're not being heard, and they can ratchet up the anger and frustration associated with that, right? To work toward their aims versus using it as a way to diffuse that and to see each other as Right. As allies, as friends, as OK, I'm you know, we haven't figured it all out yet, but we want to. We're on the same page. We both want the same thing here. And in reality, that's been something I, I, that's come up a lot here around it, that it's a communication shortcoming. Right. The mm -hmm. fact is that we can't assume that everybody understands that we have common goals if we're not explicit right. and going out and talking about it and saying, look, when we're talking about schools, right, educators and parents have the same goals. They want students to succeed. They want their kids to do right. well. But when that's never discussed, <laughs> when it's just assumed, then you know everybody comes up with their own conclusions and says, well, they must not care about the same things I do. And that's really frustrating to me, right? Would you and like then, me to give yeah. another example? Because I want to give concrete to people. I want yeah, them to be able absolutely. to listen to this podcast and have something concrete to do. So I want to give, these are, I have so many tricks in the book, but these are some of the ones you can use like right away. So validation is the WD-40 of our world. It is the number one thing you can do. Now, the problem is people validate really poorly. Oh, I really like your shirt. That's not validating. You handled that really well. That was a difficult situation and you handled it with tact and grace. That's validation, okay? So here's a little trick about how to do it. Let's say somebody dumps on you. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter. Good, bad, they're dominating the conversation, they're controlling, whatever they're doing. And you need to take control back. The number one way to do it is to look at them and say, you know what I admire about you? And stop. Guess what they do? They stop talking. Nobody talks after that sentence down. Nobody. You have my full attention, ma'am or sir. And you can use any verb you want. You know what I admire about you? Do you know what I like about you? Do you know what I love about you? Do you know what I respect about you? Choose your verb. Whatever feels right to you in the moment, it stops the runaway train. And then you say something validating and true, like your passion, your curiosity, your commitment to finding the right way through, your enthusiasm, your energy. See how easy all that is? I can take somebody who is just an elephant in a tea shop going crazy. I can turn them in 10 seconds. That's one of the ways you do it. Simple stuff like that. And practice at home with your significant other, with your kids. Let's say your kid is just, you know, if everyone was teenagers, you know, just say they're just going crazy. And I always have such compassion for teenagers. Man, they got estrogen and testosterone drop kicking into their little bodies in environments that are confusing and difficult and stratified. And it's so challenging. If you make this, what I admire about you, what I like about you, what I love about you, what I respect about you, a part of your daily life, I'm telling you, people will hang around you like lemmings because they will be, they will open their mouths like little birds, feed me more. It is, it's tremendous. And then what it does is it shifts the way you see things. Because rather than me looking at you and saying, oh my God, are you just obnoxious? Look how loud and crude you are, or you're selfish, or you're power grabbing, or you're, which is what we tend to do, it shifts me to shift you. Now I see other things. Mm -hmm. I see other possibilities. So I say to all of our listeners, in that encounter, who's got the power? Person screaming and yelling? Or are you diffusing the bomb? 
And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor, MyFlex Learning. Let's talk about flex time in schools. The potential benefits to our students make it totally worth exploring. There's more time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students and the increased engagement that comes along with it, dedicated time for intervention, and overall, as school leaders, it provides you and your faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold you back from ensuring students make good use of their time. That's why I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with the seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. If you want to see for yourself, visit myflexlearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash BE. You'll learn all about MyFlex Learning, what it can do for your school, and you'll receive a $500 off offer for your first year. Check it out. I think work on our use of listening and even you know productive use of silence to work toward those you know those are all tension diffusers right and they're so powerful i feel like as long as they ring true right there's some authenticity to it i can tell that okay this thing you're saying to me you've thought about it you've observed it in me even if it's something i've never really thought about myself before but you know you didn't just walk into the room, meet me for the first time and start <laughs> heaping a bunch of praise on me. I'm like, what, what is this person talking about? But there, I mean, there's a, a real piece to listening, first. that listening and then saying, okay, I can tell what's the right time to use mm -hmm. the right technique. What does this person need to hear right now? What's the thing that's going to break through to them to just, you know, lower the temperature a little bit and have them be more willing to, or more able even to just engage in, in a more productive conversation. What do you do if you've got a parent that comes in, they start yelling at you? You know, your first response is to become defensive, right? I have a whole chapter in the book called The Blame, Defend, Justify, Death Dance, because that's what happens. But if someone's yelling at me, the first thing I want to say is, I am so impressed with how much you love your child that you're trying to be so protective of them. You will stop them in their tracks. And to re realize we don't teach this in schools. So people are actually incompetent. They're incompetent with negotiation. They're incompetent with communication. They're incompetent with listening. They're incompetent with seeing another point of view because we don't teach it and we don't train for it. And so the more you do it, you're actually modeling this on how to behave and how to act. And, you know, I like to use the analogy of the bomb diffuser, you know, the bomb in the town square, and that guy waddles out in his Michelin suit. He doesn't just start cutting wires, he looks, he diagnoses. Is it a pressure switch? Is it a chemical gauge? Is it remote control? What do I do? So it requires, and rather than saying listening, because we've all say that, we all talk about it, and we all do it very poorly. Think of it as diagnosing. You're a bomb detector. You're looking at that situation. What do I need to do? And honestly, make it selfish. What do I need to do to make it better for me? What do I need to do to have this person not yell at me anymore or move them on down the path or actually see a solution here? It, when you come from that, you come from this place of, I want to be effective. I want to get something done. And when you think like that, who's got the power? I've got the power. Because when conflict happens, we all feel powerless. That's what happens. And when you feel powerless, you react poorly. But if you can do something to take back power, which is really what holding the calm, the secret to resolving conflict and diffusing tension, that's why I named the book that, because that's what it is. It's not being calm. It's not calming down, it's holding the calm for yourself so you have power 
And then you can actually dish it out to other people. And this is what will happen. People won't say, oh my God, Ross, you're so good. You know how to hold the calm. They're just going to say, everyone likes you. You just seem to get along with everyone or you just seem to get things done or people just respond to you. That's how they'll say it. Do you have any any go-tos for, you know, for people who maybe find the composure part of it particularly challenging, right? Especially independent of their counterparts' emotionality. Okay, somebody comes at me and they're really angry or they're really upset. And I know I need to stay calm, but I'm it's hard because hard. I'm you know, they're raising my level of response. And, you know, for some people that's more difficult than others, or even just to figure out how to do it appropriately. Right. Because for me personally, my, when somebody else is ratcheting up, you know, my response is usually to kind of ratchet down. right? And sometimes that's the right thing to do, but sometimes they may perceive that as hmm, you don't really seem to care about this or you're disengaged or right. whatever, or it's situational. Sometimes right. that might be the good way to deal with an interpersonal conflict where you know that, again, it's about there's something that's frustrating your partner today but the next day you know you, you, there's another day and you just have to you know work through the days where somebody's upset about something versus a legal negotiation that's like we need to reach a resolution today so if you, you know you can't uh, afford to say oh, let me I'll lose this one willingly because it's no big deal oh in the next one well now we need to win but in any case right? Okay. I feel my physiological <laughs> senses raising, but I know that I really need to be calm. Is there a go-to that you'd say, try this one first and see how it goes yep. for you? Name the emotion for the other side. That's why I started with that one first. And the reason is because it gives me power back. If I'm feeling triggered because you're yelling at me or you're in my way or something's happening and I'm triggered, I'm not going to be at my best. So I'm going to take power back and I'm going to see you. So I'm going to name the emotion. That gives me a moment to calm down, get back into this holding the calm place where I'm holding the calm. That's why it really is the secret to resolving conflict because from that place, I have choices and I have options. So that's the number one thing to do. And here's the other thing I'll tell people, for God's sakes, give yourself some grace. You know, you are human and none of us are up for per perfection awards just yet. And, you know, we play bumper car egos. This is what happens. The best thing you can ever do when you screw up is to say, God, I screwed up. Can I have a do-over? Nobody says no to you. Nobody. So if I handle something, Ross, with you wrong, you know, poorly, I, I'm having a bad day. I'm tired. I'm cranky. I wasn't at my best. And I just unloaded on you, or I didn't listen to you, or whatever I did that was wrong, I'm going to see it in your face instantly, right? All I have to say is, oh, God, I didn't handle that well, or that didn't come out the way I wanted to. Ross, can I have a do-over? You're not going to say no to me. Now I get to do it over. You actually encourage and engender more respect from the other side when you acknowledge you messed up and you try to do it better. And if you want to, you can even flower it up a little bit. You know what? You mean a lot to me. I care about you. And I handled that poorly. Your feelings matter to me. And I really didn't acknowledge them properly. Can I have a do-over? Stuff like that, I'm telling you, it's actually almost better than if you did it right the first time. It's really fascinating how the human psychology works. But that the number one thing in your family relations, close relations, you do this kind of stuff. You ask for a do-over and I'm telling you, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So we talked about identifying the self-interest piece and, in, in, you know, the other party. And you also, there's a chapter in the book about, or it might be a whole section. <laughs> I think it's a chapter around the efficiency, you know, of, of reaching a resolution and, and getting there in a timely fashion, right? And um, 
I'm wondering if you found, especially with respect to today, conflict resolution, right? Things that aren't legal matters, but they're just interpersonal, you know, or professional matters. If a common theme is a lack of clarity and following all the way through to the point of being able to clearly and specifically articulate what we want, what I want, right? Exactly. What is my interest, right? Okay, I know that there's something, either there's something that is causing conflict because I don't like what the other person's doing, right? Or I, you know, I know what I don't like, but I'm not really able to fully articulate, well, what do I want? What am I trying to achieve here? Does that, you know, seem to come up often in your findings? And if so, you know, what's your advice around that? Sure. So that's very good because we are often unclear and muddied. We're almost, the human ego is almost like a child. I want it because I want it. Well, that's not an action plan, right? And it's not thinking through the consequences of what you want. So the good news is that you learn along the way. That's the benefit of this do-over thing is that sometimes it's a great gift to not get what you want. So that's what the life learning lessons are. So trying to be clear, having an action plan, blah, blah, that's all great. I have a technique in the book called VUX, V-U-C-S validate, understand, clarify, summarize. It's a little four-part thing designed to achieve exactly what you've just asked. In the end, I want an action plan. So we have agreed that we're going to do one, two, and three. So you use that when you want to try to drive just a large rah, you know, screaming thing into, okay, what's the action plan we're going to do? And that's the technique. And it takes anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour, depending on the nature of the situation. And it's, I go through it in step-by-step, you know, how to do it in the book. And it's really pretty excellent to get you toward an action plan. Sometimes you want an action plan. Sometimes you just want to diffuse the bomb and move on, you know? So you have all these choices about Mm -hmm. what you want to do and how you want to do it. And, you know, notice I call the book, Holding the Calm, The Secret to Resolving Conflict, and diffusing tension. It's kind of a long title. And I was a little hesitant to make it so long, but it's so important. Prevention is worth a pound of cure. And let me give everyone an analogy that you're all gonna use. Spaghetti sauce, you drop it on the counter. Everyone, you wipe it up with a wet sponge, it's no big deal. You leave it overnight and you're scraping it off with a spatula. Mm -hmm. You leave it three or four months and it's old and moldy and nasty. That, my friends, is conflict. But every single piece of conflict, 100% of it, starts with tension. And the tension can either be yelling or it can be, that's tension, right? Even though it's unexpressed, wiping the spaghetti sauce up when it's wet is the smart move. We all know that. Why don't we? Because we don't know how. We're scared. We hope it'll go away. We hope it'll somehow get better miraculously on its own. But it doesn't. It gets stored like little resentment nuts for the winter, you know? And so if you see that happening, you want to speak to it. You want to say, you seem disturbed by that. See, naming the emotion. I'm not disturbed. Okay, does this sound right to you? Well, no, it doesn't. Okay, I'm interested in hearing your opinion. See, it took four seconds and you make a right turn. That's how you can do it. And that's what I, that's why I made the book so simple and easy for people to practice is you take one idea, just take one of what we've talked about today or one that's in the book. And on my webpage, I have all kinds of little one minute videos on little topics on, you know, how to handle family at Thanksgiving. I did a big thing on and, you know, stuff like that. Little, you know, how to fire somebody, how to deny someone a raise, Mm -hmm. you know, how to it's a student give us a student a failing grade and tell the teacher you're not going to uh, parent you're not going to change it i mean those kinds of things how do you practice that just pick one thing and practice it every day for a week and then all of a sudden it belongs to you now it's right. yours it's in your repertoire and that's how you actually do it and then you just get better and better and i tell you your relationships with your kids will be great your relationship with your in-law kids will be great you know, the larger circle of life, you just will glide through a little easier. doesn't mean there isn't bumps in the road. People are still going to annoy you. You're still going to have difficulty. 
but you won't be blind. You'll have glasses on. Like you'll be able to see better when you have these holding the calm techniques. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned the resentment piece, right? And the, you know, there has to be a goal around if we have truly resolved the conflict, I've also resolved my resentment. I've resolved the conflict inside of me too. If I haven't, then I haven't really resolved this. And I think that relates back to, you know, what I was mentioning earlier about really knowing what we want and being able to talk about. And probably a good illustration is something you mentioned in the book as well around the uh, baseball salary arbitration process, right? And I'll really briefly explain that for people who don't know how it works. But basically, the team will say a number is for players who are, you know, subject to the arbitration process. Okay, we think he should make $2 million next year. And the player will say, well, I think I should make three. And more times than not, they'll go out and reach a, a resolution outside of the process and say, okay, well, we agreed on some number in between, right? But if it goes all the way to arbitration, both sides make their case, the arbitrator chooses one or the other. There's no compromise at that point, right? Well, how would that process work if the team said, we think you should make 2 million and the player said, no, I don't think I should make 2 million. I don't think that's enough. Well, what number do you want? Well, more than that, right? Like, you know, if you have to be really clear and, and precise on what you want or else there's no way to win. Or, you know, you won, but you didn't get what you wanted. And now you're still upset because you're saying, oh, well, this, they gave me two and a half and I think it should have been three. Well, you, did you ever say that? Did you make your case for that? And, you know, and I think that happens a lot. And, it, it, you know, in fact, creates maybe conflict out of potentially no conflict, right? When we sort of fail to just be direct and precise and say, here's a situation that's coming up here's what I advocate for. And we're either hedged too much or use, you know, are too deferential and create a situation where we just, we're hoping the other person will decide what we want them to decide. And instead they end up deciding something different. And now there's a conflict. Yeah. <laughs> and now we either have to resolve that conflict or we just have a lot of resentment building up. Whereas it maybe could have been prevented by having more clarity in the first place. I, I think it's very well said. Alcoholics Anonymous has a wonderful saying that says resentment is poison that you drink, but expect somebody else to die. You say that again, because it's so good. Resentment is poison that you drink, but expect somebody else to die. It's just so good. And the thing is, again, I want to tell our listeners, for God's sakes, have grace. You know, this human living thing is hard. We make mistakes. We bump up against each other. We don't have right good skills. We're tired. We're hungry. We're angry. We don't have resources. We don't have skill set. We don't have love and support, blah, blah, blah. You got to have some grace. And if you have grace for yourself, then you're going to have grace for others. Now, all of a sudden, you can move more fluidly through life when you can do that. And then the question is, uh, I want to actually tell our listeners something very interesting. There was a guy named Daniel, he's still alive, Daniel Kahneman, who won the Nobel Prize in economics. He's a psychologist by proving that Adam Smith's rational man doesn't really exist. People do not make economic decisions rationally. They think they do but they don't. So I'm going to give two analogies that everyone's really going to enjoy. One, apples, 25 cents each. How many would you buy? I don't know. I like apples. I'll probably buy two. Apples, four for a dollar. You get a 35% boost in sales. Now that's just stupid. It doesn't make any logical sense at all. You want an extra 10% boost in sales? Limit two. It's crazy. Makes no sense at all, but I'm not going to let the other guy get my apples. So I'll let them rot in my refrigerator and pay more rather than let the other guy get it. So that's a huge part of the human psyche in a lot of people. The other part is that what Daniel Kahneman proved is that we all think people want to win. That is not true. 80% of people want to not lose. So think about that for a minute. If you're in a situation, is somebody trying to win? Or are they trying to not lose? 
completely different way of looking at it. It's a heads and tail of the same coin. And it just gives you a broader frame of reference when you're dealing with somebody. If you're trying to, you may be arguing as if you're trying to win, like use your baseball player analogy. He may be arguing that he wants more money, but it really may be that the other guy got more and he doesn't want to be seen as a schmo. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to look worse. And money is a way of ranking. So how else can you figure out how to manage the ranking so that ego, which is this fragile, delicate little thing, doesn't get bashed about? Money is one way, but there's plenty of other ways. I've settled lots of cases with man of the year dinners, with donations to charity, with being in control of the drafting of something. There's tons of issues that someone else will not raise, but that you can see if I'm trying to find a win for them, I got to find a win somehow, or can I find a way that they don't lose, that they right. don't look stupid, that they don't look taken advantage of. And I'm telling you for 80% of the people, that's more important. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on basically managing up to people who are not doing this effectively right yeah. if we put it in the school context and, and even the example we talked about earlier okay we have you know the parents of our students they really aren't feeling heard and they're you know they're we're developing a little bit of an antagonistic relationship here because they you know they're not hearing from us or we're not acknowledging their feelings and they're starting to question what we're doing here and really okay uh, maybe i recognize this as a teacher and i'm trying to advocate to the administration hey maybe you should you know implement some new communication protocols or do some outreach or blah 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 and for whatever reason they're not succeeding at it or they're you know i a lot of people have been in these situations where you're reporting up to somebody who's doing a poor job of identifying the self-interest in the other party, right? And they're creating situations where you're just not able to come to any kind of resolution because, okay, you keep proposing ideas that are all in favor of our side, you know, it could be in private enterprise or otherwise, but, you know, not everybody's in a position where they are able to directly engage, but yet it's like, okay, I can see what's happening here, right? And I'm trying to sort of manage up here and influence this, but I'm wondering if you have any thoughts around that. I do. And I love the question because let's think about it. You're going to look up, let's just give it an analogy. You're going to look up and you're going to think the person is either stupid, unskilled, or has some kind of agenda right? So identify what it is. Are they actually stupid? Because there's plenty of stupid people. They just don't understand. Are they unskilled or do they have an agenda? I would say that more than half the time it's an agenda, okay? Because we will see people as stupid and unskilled because they don't do what we want. So look first for the agenda. How can you help satisfy that agenda? Now, all of a sudden, you become a power player and you become more influential because you are satisfying their agenda. As you do that, if you've got the skills, you've done these holding the calm things, you've read the book, you give them the book. I mean, I've got lots of organizations that are passing them out because I have discussion guides in the back of the book. So it, no one has money for training these days. So I made it a free training. I mean, I have people that are buying it as like book clubs, teachers doing things and schools doing things as book clubs. Because it's like I said, I did it as a $15 book. I did that on purpose. And then you read it together and you do the discussions at the back of the book. Now it becomes a training. And then you can qualify for continuing education credit at the same time you're doing it. Now you've created a lexicon within your organization. So instead of you having to develop skills managing up, you could say, why don't we try VEX with them? Everyone, okay, everyone now knows what VUX is. Why don't we try, you know, the creating small winnable victories? What can we do to give them this? All of a sudden you have this lexicon and it just, it works great. I'm telling you, I'm, you know, that's, it makes your life easier because think about it too. If you're managing up, what's the ego of the person up? Don't tell me what to do. Don't think I'm stupid. Don't think I'm unskilled. Don't think you know more than me. Mr. or Mrs. because you don't, well, that's not good either. So by 
moving this lexicon and getting everyone working and rowing in the same way, you've just created a framework. And I wanted to do that because there's huge training programs that have all their ways of doing it and they charge a fortune of money. And then they're good for a little while and then they just kind of drop off because you're not continually doing them. I wanted this to be like for everybody. I mean, everyone can afford a $15 paperback book, you know, and if everyone is talking about it in the same way, all of a sudden you're a help, not a criticizer. Mm-hmm. Well, Hashtag, it's been so great to have you on the show. And I have I have one uh, more question for you before you go, which is about, so you have your chapter being the grown up, which applies wonderfully to a situation here where, you know, listen to some listeners may literally be the grown up in the room, right? I'm thinking about this specifically as relates to the day-to-day reality where if our listeners are a teacher or a parent, right? You may be in situations with people of, you know, three to four different levels of real and expected emotional maturity, right? You might go from you know, being in some sort of a conflict with your supervisor to having to then go mediate a conflict between two eight-year-olds to then going home (laughs) and having your spouse and your own children, right? And try, you know, maybe it's about how to kind of reset or to be mindful of what it means to be the grown-up, to hold the calm in those different scenarios where, you have to adapt your understanding and, and, you know, realistic expectations of how the other party is experiencing it. When you're toggling between adults and children, between a peer and a supervisor or a spouse, right? And so I don't know, whatever you think is a good thing to share in this reality, but you could, you know, imagine, right? In a given day, there could be a lot of emotional whiplash. Oh God, yes. I mean, that's the world you all live in validation is your friend. It's magic beans in your pocket. That's all I can tell you. If you start doing, you know what I really love about you? You know what I admire about you? You just start seeing people. I'm telling you, obstacles will melt away. That's just what will happen. And then you progress to the part where, you know, you get good enough to notice something and to comment on it. So let's say, for example, two kids or one of them just grabbed a toy from the other. And the other went went and walked away. You go to that kid and say, I saw what happened. You handled that really well. I want you to know I'm proud of you. Oh, for God's sakes, you just reinforce an amazing skill. Then, of course, you can talk to the other kid. It's not nice to grab. We shouldn't pull it away. Do the same thing with parents. Do the same thing with supervisors. You notice you catch somebody doing it right. Where what we do, especially as teachers, you know, because I teach also, you know, it's designed to catch people doing it wrong because you're testing. But the reality is if you catch people doing it right, you will be beloved. That's what will actually happen. You catch people doing it right. And then they want, people are like, sunflowers are my favorite flower because they are heliotropes. They always turn toward the sun, no matter where they are. I think that humans are validation of tropes. <laughs> we, right. we turn toward that which approves of us and sees us despite our flaws, despite our emotional immaturity, despite how we acted. When someone sees you and still likes you, like I, I joke when I you know train people, I talk about how the number one thing is to make sure that your give a darn meter is turned on right? But you need more than that. That's one. But catching them doing it right, magic beans in your pockets, my friends. Yeah, if excellent. You, and if you all you know like this stuff, connect with me on LinkedIn, because I'm posting all kinds of stuff on LinkedIn all the time, Hesha Abrams. I've got my holdingthecom.com website that you can sign up for. I don't sell the list or do anything. And I just send out, you know, periodic, you know, little tidbits of things of how to make it better. And you just kind of stay in the conversation because those of us that are all trying to make the world a little bit better, God bless, we need to band together, don't we? 
Right. Yes, absolutely. Listeners, yes, do you can find Holding the Calm, the book at holdingthecalm.com or at Hesha's website or Amazon or wherever you get your books. We'll put the link below to Hesha's website. You could learn about additional resources there, as she mentioned, or connect on LinkedIn and find that all there. Anything else people should check out? I would just say, if you do buy it on Amazon, please be kind or Goodreads, please be kind enough to leave a nice review because that helps the search engine optimization junk. And I feel like the more people that can have a few tools, maybe that helps all the rest of us that, you know, we're not all Neanderthals anymore. Yes, this is, I, I think, you know, no matter who you are, I think you probably have experienced the challenge with conflict resolution in one way or another. Even if you're super skilled, you have encountered other people who are struggling, right? And then who, if you have a mentality toward finding solutions, if you're, a uh, counterpart doesn't have that mentality. You still need to help them kind of be willing to come to the table and whatever that is. So I think there's something we all can pick up from this. So yeah, check out the book if you find it useful to you or sign up for Hedge's mailing list or whatever is valuable. Please also do subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth interviews like this one. We look forward to many more great episodes or visit the podcast.network to learn about all of our shows and find a new one for you. Hesha, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. This episode was edited by Gage Sanderson. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.